Amen. Amen. Good morning. All right, come on. Now is not the time to get to get tired on me. Press in, press in. Anybody excited about the word this morning? Come on, press in. Press in. There's room. There's room now. Press in. Come on. Get comfortable. All right. I came across an article this week that I, in, in my reading, and it, it just it put something out there for me real hardcore, and so I just want to do that for you this morning. Is that all right? Good, because I was going to do it anyway. Here's the quote from that article. God has two questions for you today. What are you hearing me say, and what are you doing to obey? Good night. What are you hearing me say, and what are you doing to obey? I'm not going to waste any time. I want to get you thinking today right from go. Listen, listen to this. If we are going to live a faith-filled, powerful walk with God, there should be a lot of hearing and a lot of obeying going on. Thank you for all those amens. See, on the surface, we seem to get things right. Check this out. What are the statistics? According to a Barna poll taken in 2006, most Americans, 88%, feel accepted by God. 62% see themselves as deeply spiritual. 62% of Americans see themselves as deeply spiritual. How many believe that? Actually, I, I really do. You know why? I was watching LA Inc. the other day, and Ja Rule comes in to get a tattoo, and he gets a scripture put on his chest. And, and as he's explaining the scripture, a deep, powerful scripture that he's putting on his chest, they're showing clips of his music videos where, you know, he's freaking and doing all kinds of craziness. But, but he's explaining what this scripture means on his chest. So I, I definitely believe 62% of people think they are deeply spiritual. <coughs> 59% believe they can be accurately described as full-time servants of God. More than 8 out of 10, 84% of Americans view themselves as Christians. Are you serious? 84%, and check this out, 60% label themselves as committed Christians. That don't shock anybody? I'd be throwing things at me if I were you. I'd say, you're lying. 60% label themselves. Family, if 60% of Americans were committed Christians, we'd turn this world upside down. Wouldn't we? We would turn this world upside down or right side up. Amen? Look what 12 did back in the day. And one of them was crooked. So what's the problem then? If this God is real, then, then He'll guide those who trust Him. He'll answer those who call Him. He'll be found by those who seek Him. He'll lead those who follow Him. All that is in His Word. Maybe 
Could it be that sometimes we're just not listening to what he's saying? That sometimes we're just not obeying what he's already told us to do? Now, today as we continue in our series through the book of of Corinthians, I want to talk about the message of the cross. In a message titled, The Mess in the Message. The Mess in the Message. We left off last week, we were talking about the city of Corinth, right? And, And we were talking about how that city was totally committed to the love of money and to the pursuit of pleasure. And how that passion and that atmosphere has started to affect the church. In Corinth, a lot like it affects us where we are today. Amen? Listen, if we're going to guard ourselves and treasure the calling that we have and the plans that God has for us, then the question that we have to stay asking is, what is God saying to us and what are we doing to obey? My my prayer today is that this message leaves this arena and dwells in here. If it doesn't, then you're here for a show. And you're hoping that I have some funny jokes today, or you're hoping that I'll be a clown enough today to amuse you and entertain you. This is not a show. If it was, we'd charge admission. Right? If this was, how many Broadway shows you go to that are free? No, you pay a lot of money, but you got in here free. Why? Because this is not a show. Amen? We're here because we're seekers of truth. We're here because we wanna we wanna draw closer to God. We wanna maybe experiment with this thing. We wanna maybe seek and see if this thing is real. Maybe we're here because we've tried everything else, and this is the last chance, man. I've tried everything else, gotten high with everything else, done slept with everything else. I've tried everything else. Maybe this is the last attempt of doing something real for my life that could really change something. Amen. So, so I, I, my prayer today is that it leaves this, this place and it and really dwells up in here and that we would stay asking all the time, what is God saying and what am I doing to obey? Because it's so important for the church in the city to hear and live by and walk in the message of the cross. Amen? Now listen, I don't want to come off as trying to be super spiritual because you know I'm the first one to admit that sometimes I'm not. I know that shocked some of you, sorry. But many times, though, in, in, in many situations I find myself in, I speak to God. Can you believe that? Isn't that great? Your pastor talks to God once in a while? Isn't that awesome? A lot of times in many situations I find myself in, I speak to God and I ask Him for direction. I ask God to help me with things, to help me, to, to help me know how to, how to fix things, to help me know how to correct things, to help me know how to make good decisions. Sometimes, and I'm not trying to, try, trying to be super spiritual, I don't, ask God, I don't ask God, like, what gum should I chew today? Because I think he'd, you know, laugh at me. Like, serious? Right? But, but there's some, sometimes you need to ask God what side of the block to walk on. Anybody? Anybody ever had something in you that said, cross the street? I have. And then there's sometimes in you, there's fear in you that tells you to cross the street, and there's something in you that tells you stay right where you are. Amen? I've walked through gangs 
I, there's been times that God has made me cross the street for two people coming down the block. And then there's been times that I've walked through six or seven heads that were looking for trouble. And I knew that God told me to stay here and be strong, that he got me. Right? We have to live like that, church. We have to live like that. You know, example, the other day I was doing something. And when I knew that I had something else scheduled to do. How many of you like to plan out your days, right? And you have... Some of you are like a crazy, you got it on your, your phones and your agendas and your this and your that, right? And your things are always beeping because they're telling you, oh, time to do this, oh, time to do that, Ooh. And you're always checking, you're laughing at somebody, some of you do that. But I, I'm, I'm definitely not the most organized person in the world, ask my wife. But I have certain things that I plan, right? And so the other day I was doing something that, and, and I knew that I had something scheduled to do, Instead of what I was doing, but I was feeling like God wants me to stay doing the thing that I was doing and not the thing that I had planned to do. And so as I was doing the thing that I hadn't planned to do, but doing the thing that I was doing at the moment, I said, God, is it, as I was even doing this, in my head, I, in my spirit, I'm praying, I'm saying, God, is this the thing that you want me to do or should I do the thing that I had been scheduled to do? And, and I felt like God saying, you're doing the right thing, doing the thing that you're not scheduled to do, but doing the thing that you're doing right now. Amen? <laughs> that was good. That was good. <laughs> but you have, to, you have to walk like this. You have to, man, this will, this will change your life. Amen? So, so, you know, we, I, I'd rather, you, we, we have to, it's good to have plans and it's good to have agendas and all that is fine. I'm sorry, you know, I don't want to, you know, throw off your schedules, those of you that have every six minutes planned in your life. But sometimes we have to give God room to speak into our lives. Sometimes we have to give, allow God room, amen? And church, that's how we stay connected and that's how we discover the things that God has for us. Listen, one of my favorite verses of all times is Ephesians 2.10. It says, we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works. Works that he has prepared in advance for us to walk in. Oh man, isn't that an incredible verse? I love that because it tells me first, it gives me identity. It tells me I'm his. You, you thought you was garbage? No, you're his. I'm God's workmanship. Second, it gives me purpose. It says that I was created for a reason, that He has plans for me, that, that He has things planned out for me, that I'm His workmanship. He doesn't make junk, and He has things for me to do. And then it keeps me actively searching and listening in the doing to find out what it is, the things that He has prepared for me to walk in. I'm preaching better than your amen Come on. Come on. <laughs> we got to be actively searching. How many of you know, you ever been in that thing where whatever it is, sometimes it's not even something super spiritual, but you're in that thing and you're doing that and walking in that thing and you know that this is the thing that God had planned for you to walk in today? Isn't that like the best feeling in the world? You're not clapping because you haven't been there. And that's scary. Because it's the best. It's the best. When you're walking in the... Listen, if you think being a Christian is boring, you're doing it wrong. (laughs) 
You're doing it wrong, man. If nothing is happening in your daily walk, then you're probably just a churchgoer. You're probably just a church visitor. You're still not the church. You might come to the church, but you're not the church. And the, the sad thing about that is you've been in here 15 years and you still got regular attender status. We are the church. This is the factory on St. Peter's Avenue. Amen? We are the church. So everywhere you go, the church is there. You are the church, not I come to church. We'll get that one day. Here's how you start being the church. Start your day tomorrow asking God to lead you and move through you and then do what He says and go where He leads. Your life will never be the same. Never be the same. Amen? And, and listen, that's why it's so important that we know the Word. That's why it's so important that we're in fellowship with people in the Word. That's why the Word says that we should not give up meeting together. Jesus said in the last days there are going to be many that fall away to deceiving spirits and many that will come in my name. Listen, there's a danger for the church in the city and that is that the church in the city can easily be influenced by the spirit of the city. But if you know the Word and the Spirit of God is dwelling in you, then, then if you were to hear some deparate about, you need to leave your wife and sleep with the choir director. Because surely that's what the Lord wants. I want to bless you. I want to bless you with a, a better looking husband. I want to bless you with a prettier wife. If you start hearing that kind of nonsense, kill the infidel. You need to kill this person up the block. If you start hearing that kind of nonsense, you, you, you're able to, to discern and say, wait a minute, I'm part of the New Testament church. God isn't telling me to do that because God would never tell me something that goes against what He's already told me in His Word. And so, so I, 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 I love when people come to me. This used to happen a lot. I, I think I've, I've scared many, most of them off already. But they used to come to me and tell me, listen, I, I think God is telling me and, and it would be some craziness. And I tell them, listen, listen, listen. You don't have to finish that sentence. Trust me that God is not telling you that. Whoa, pastor, how can you be so, you know, all of a sudden they get offended with me. Listen, listen. Trust me, God is not telling you that. I can tell you that from, from the, from, with the deepest conviction in my heart. Why? Because it goes against what His Word says. No, 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 I know, but hear me out. I don't have to hear you out. I don't even want to hear you out. If it goes against what the Word already says, then you don't, you're not already doing what this already told you to do. God is not going to tell you to do something extra. <laughs> Amen? How many of you, you know, you have kids and you tell them to do something, and they don't do that something? Then what's the point of telling them to do something more, something extra? They're already not doing the something that they know they should be doing. Right? Come on, God is an excellent father. Whoo. So, <clears throat> he would never go against what he said. So, when you have a man in Florida calling himself Jesus and, and telling people that there's no sin and there's no hell and they should mark themselves with the mark of the beast, 666, you'll be able to say, hell no. 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 Paul says right here in the first chapter, we're not supposed to follow man like that. 
So, so Jesus can't be living in South Beach wearing Rolexes, driving Bentleys, and asking for my money. It just can't be. How can 60% of Americans call themselves Christians, committed Christians, and this man's preaching heresies, and he has multiple church locations with thousands of people? Either God isn't speaking or people aren't listening. While, while he's preaching that there's no sin and you can live anywhere you want and there's no consequence. Wow, what a great church, right? There's no sin, there's no consequence, and there's no hell. That means if we're sitting here and I, I like the chain that you're wearing, I can snatch it off your neck and tell you, shut up. Put it in my pocket. Shut, shut up. I want that. There's no sin, there's no hell, there's no consequence. Craziness. Right? So while he's preaching that kind of stuff, Paul is saying here to the church in the city, we need to do the hard work of getting along with each other. Paul is telling the church in the city, this is not the time to be divided. He says in verse 10, I have a serious concern. I'll put it as urgently as I can. You must get along with each other. You must be considerate of one another. You must cultivate a life in common. Now, is this just something that bothered Paul? Maybe Paul had middle child syndrome or something. He just wants everybody to get along. No, look what Jesus prayed in John 17. He was speaking about the church and he says that all of them may be one. He's praying. He says that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you sent me. Did you feel the weight of that? Our learning to, to deal with each other and to get along with each other is meant to show God to the world. Think about that. The next time you have something stupid to say about your church brothers on Facebook. Think about that the next time you want to spread some gossip about somebody in the church in front of the world. Think about that the next time you make up your mind that I'm just not going to like somebody here. Paul goes on about the divisions in the church here in 1 Corinthians. And, and because some people were saying, well, I follow Peter and I was baptized by this one. And, I, and Paul says, man, I'm glad for the most part I didn't baptize any of you. <laughs> that was a pow-pow, right? He said, listen, listen, I'm glad I didn't baptize none of you. Because this is nonsense what you guys are fighting about. He says in verse 17, Christ didn't send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. And not with clever speech or intellectual arguments for fear that the cross would lose its power. Church, here's the mess in the message. It starts in, in, in uh, chapter 1, verse 18. He says, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. So we have to look at that, at that verse and say, Okay, first of all, what is then the message of the cross? I'm glad you guys asked that. You guys are awesome. The message of the cross is this, that God sent His only begotten Son to die as an atoning sacrifice for the sins of all people. 
The message of the cross is that whosoever believes in Him and accepts that forgiveness is saved. The message of the cross is that because of that forgiveness, people can be reconciled to God just on the merit of that sacrifice. The message of the cross is that there is only one way to the Father and it's through the Son. That might ruffle some of your your ideologies or your theologies and, and your Oprahologies, but the Word says there is one way. I'm sorry if that's not friendly to the Muslims and the Jews and the this and the that and the this. I'm sorry, but all paths do not lead to God. I'm sorry, but the Word does not say that. If you want that, go to another place that coexists and wants everybody to get along. And there's, right now there's interfaith churches, there's interfaith ministers where you can believe what you believe, I believe what I believe, and eventually we're all going to get to Jesus. No, we're not. That's not what the Word says. Amen? That's what, that's what itching ears want to hear. And that's what Jesus said, in the last days people will leave the truth and go to where their itches can be scratched. But that's not what the... There is one way to the Father. I hope I made that clear enough. Amen? The message of the cross is that it cannot be earned by being good enough, by doing enough, by having your good outweigh your bad, by having good morals, by being a good person. Listen, as beautiful as some of you are, you're not good enough. Amen? As... as Some of you got the biggest study Bibles in here and they're all highlighted and they're marked up. You're still not holy enough. Some of you fast one day a week. You're still not good enough. Some of you pray an hour or two in the morning. You're still not doing enough. Some of you get along with everybody. You love everybody. You accept everybody. You're still not good enough. Sorry. (laughs) Sorry, you were trying so hard. You were doing so well. But it's not good enough. We need to rest. And the message of the cross is that I'm already accepted. Oh, man. The message of the cross is that it's already done. That that when he spread his arms and he said, I'm going to love you this much and I'm going to take everything, not a little bit, not just you, I'm going to take everything you've done. I'm going to take everything and it's going to get nailed here and it's going to be done here. Amen? So that's the message of the cross. What's the mess? Good question. The cross was a humiliating method of torture and execution created for the lowlifes of that time. See, we have to understand sometimes when we read the word, a lot of, all the time it's going to speak to us today where we are, but we also need to look at the context and look at who it was written to and, and what, how are they going to see it because that'll help us understand some things, amen? And that's what a good, a good study, a good, you know, the, theologian like a lot of us are would study the word. That's what, what we need to do to, to really chew it apart, amen? To get more out of it. And so the problem, the message, the mess in this message was that the cross was a humiliating method of torture back then. It was created for low lives. Understand that somebody that was actually sent to be crucified, they were a convicted murderer, thief, imposter. Convicted. They were done. 
They were given a life sentence. They were done. They were the low lives of the world in that time, right? And, and listen, it still doesn't compare, but it would be like someone today that we would send to the electric chair or, or someone today that we would send to, to be lethal, you know, to get a lethal injection. Someone today that gets a life sentence, what does that mean? That means that the law of this time, the system of justice of this time says that there is no rehabilitation for this person. Can you feel the weight of that? Somebody that gets a life sentence, a lot of us know people that are on life sentences, right? What is the system, what is our judicial system saying that there's no rehabilitation for this person? That there is no hope for this person. That there is no use for this person. This person will never ever be anything but what he or she has already shown himself to be. There is no hope for this person. Nothing good is going to come from them. You, you understand? Like somebody on our, on, in, our, in our system that's, that has a life sentence, they can't run for presidency. It would make no sense. How could they ever? They, no, they, they have a life sentence. They've been condemned. They're done. So you have to understand that in that time, that's how they were seeing this. And so that's why the message of the cross was foolishness to them. Paul goes on to say in verse 21, Since the world and all of its fancy wisdom never had a clue when it came to knowing God, God in His delight, in His wisdom, took delight in using what the world considered foolish. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom. Verse 23, But we preach Christ and Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles. 25, For the foolishness of God is wiser than man and the weakness of God is stronger than man to bring those who trust Him into the way of salvation. See, Paul is saying the Jews, their, their thing was we need signs. And the Greeks, their thing is we need wisdom. It needs to be explained. We need arguments. We still see that kind of mindset around us today, don't we? How many of you, you talk to those people that say, well, if God is real, He'll do this or He'll do that or He wouldn't let this be done, right? I talk to people all the time that say, well, I prayed to God once and He didn't do what I asked Him to, so He's not real. You were looking for a genie. You weren't looking for God. You were looking for some supernatural slave that's to do your bidding. You, you were looking for some brujeria. You weren't looking for God. People tell me, well, I need a sign. You know, and we probably tell, you probably talk to some people like this. I need a sign. And I, I love talking to people like that. I say, man, you need a sign. Consider like the tree. Consider the huge tree in front of your house and how that came from a little seed. Consider, man, consider the colors on a flower. Consider the, the colors that God put on a fish that lives so deep underneath the water that we should never even be able to see Him. And yet God displayed His majesty of colors on this fish. You want a sign? You want a sign? Look at your baby teeth. Do you ever think about that? Your baby teeth. How could evolution decide that as babies we'll, we'll need teeth to chew food, but then as we grow up, these teeth will fall out and new teeth would come in? Did you ever think about that? How come they don't keep coming in? Some of us wish they did, amen? But they don't. So how does the body know that one time these teeth fall out, the new ones come in? 
That's not a design. That's not something that was created to happen. How can that happen by mistake? Do you understand? I love it. I mean, that's a sign and a wonder, amen? And then there's the Greeks, and the Greeks need arguments. I love these guys. They're so smart, they want everything proven. They say, I can accept God created man. I'd rather believe that the planets, which are perfectly aligned and rotating on an axis and spinning and rotating, I'd rather believe that one day, bam, they, they crashed into each other and there was this big bam and, 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 then, and then everything went back into orbit and everything was perfect again and the earth was exactly the right distance from the sun and the moon and it spun at exactly the perfect angle and it had exactly the right amount of land and atmosphere water so that there could be hydrogen and oxygen in exactly the right form and then there would be plants on this world and so the plants that that eat carbon dioxide which we breathe out and create oxygen which we breathe in and all this happened by accident and then one day there was this amoeba in the ocean and that little amoeba became a tadpole that little tadpole walked out on the earth and then that little tadpole became different species of animals, which is still scientifically unproven and can't happen because it goes against every scientific law. <coughs> but then somehow in that, these species turned into this ape who, who rushed over and then crow magnum man and this man and this man and then ended up with this monkey that thinks there's no creator. Yeah, <laughs> because faith is too big a stretch. <laughs> because having faith that for every creation there's a creator, and for every design there's a designer, that would be, be that would be a little too radical for me. That would be being a little too spiritual. Amen. The message of the cross is foolishness to those that are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. See, in Paul's day, the Jewish people, they were looking for a miraculous messianic deliverance. They weren't looking for the mess and the message of the cross. The Greek culture, they valued the pursuit of wisdom and, and it was usually expressed in high academic philosophical terms. They didn't value the wisdom and foolishness of the mess and the message of the cross. And so, instead of giving the Jews and the Greeks what they demanded in deliverance and wisdom, God gave them something unexpected, a crucified Messiah. Which in itself is an oxymoron. Crucified means weak, defeated, humiliation. Messiah means power, splendor, victory, and triumph. <laughs> That's the mess in the message. Amen? Let me close with this little story that I, that I read in that same article, as a matter of fact. It said that a strong church once inscribed these words on an archway leading into the courtyard of the church. And over time, two things happened in this church. The church lost its passion for the gospel and the ivy worship team. You guys can come. That's not in the story. I'm telling the worship team they can come. So over time, two things happened. The church lost its passion for the gospel and ivy began to grow on this archway that they had this inscription on. And so the growth of the ivy covered the message showing the spiritual decline of the church. And so originally it said, we preach Christ crucified. 
But as the ivy grew, you could only read, we preach Christ. And so the church started preaching how Jesus was a great man and Jesus was a great moral example. But they weren't preaching the message of the cross anymore. And then instead of Christ crucified, then the ivy kept growing and then soon we could only read, we preach. And the church even lost Jesus in the message and they just started preaching good, positive, you could have your best stuff now, life type thing. And then the ivy kept growing and then soon we, we, we could only read we. And the church also became just another social gathering place all about we and not about the mess and the mess of the message of the cross. To the church in the city, here in the Bronx, we preach Christ crucified. Church, it's time we stop wearing the cross. In our t-shirts, in our jewelry. It's time we stopped tattooing the cross. To me, there's nothing worse than somebody with a huge... Just look at your favorite shows, right? The biggest derelict in Jersey Shore got the biggest cross tattooed on his back. What does that mean? It's time we stop wearing the cross, stop using the cross, stop thinking the cross is an article of fashion, and stop and started living the cross, the unmerited favor, the undeserved acceptance, the unexplainable grace, the repentance, the forgiveness, the unconditional love of the cross. Church, the message of the cross is foolishness to those that are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. I love that scripture because even the verb tenses in that scripture mean something. They both describe a work in progress. It says to those who are perishing and to those who are being saved. It's a work in progress. How many of you know that this walk is a work in progress? Amen? Every day we're making a decision to to be being saved, to be in the process of, of being saved. Each of us definitely is moving in one of those two directions, even today. So ask yourself today, what is God saying to me? And what am I doing to obey? Let's bow our heads a second. message of the cross we preach Christ crucified Father thank you for your cross God thank you God that you chose the foolish things of this world to display your love and to display your wisdom to display that your ways are not our ways to display God that your thoughts are not our thoughts to display God to display to us what real love is, Lord. Father, I pray right now if there's anyone in this place, if there's anyone in the sound of my voice or watching this online, God, that if they are searching for that real love, that they would find it today, that it would start at the mess of the message of the cross.
If that's you today, church, if you if you need to come to the cross, if you need to, to come to the realization, listen, there's forgiveness at the cross. There's repentance at the cross. There's love at the cross. If that's you, just come. Right where you are, it doesn't matter who's around you, it doesn't matter who's looking. If you need to, to, sometimes we need to physically go to the cross. Sometimes we need to just really get up and walk to the cross so that in, in, on the outside we're demonstrating what we want God to do on the inside. On the inside we need to come to the cross. Come on.